All right, and welcome back to The Abnormal Christian. I am Brad Mason. I'm here today with my wife, Natasha Mason. Hi. There she is. We hope she's coming across a little bit loud and clear. We're working with some new microphones today. Um, we got a little new setup trying to uh, even out the volumes a bit uh, so that we are heard. Hopefully it doesn't sound like we're talking in a barrel. Um, so it's a little bit different. You'll probably hear all the background noises. These microphones are a little bit more sensitive, I think, than what we were using before. Um, kind of going back a little bit and looking at what we were talking about previously, we were discussing um, Sabbath and we were discussing some of the things that, uh, not Sabbath, I'm sorry, we were Passover. discussing Passover. Man, my brain. Um, those things run so close together that I, I tend to, um, uh, they, they go coincide, you know, so it's a little bit, I get them in my head sometimes. Um, but today is uh, what is commonly known among the church as Easter Sunday. This is the... Um, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Right, this is Easter Sunday. This is where everybody is um, proclaiming um, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead Sunday morning at sunrise and that we don't have any part of Easter celebrations as far as bunnies and eggs go. And then we pull out the bunnies and eggs. So it's... it's and we have an Easter egg. Right, it's a little bit of a... Um, it's a little interesting. I think um, if you know anything about what we've talked about, if you haven't listened to any of the previous episodes, you're going to think we're a little uh, might come off a little judgmental on some of this, but that's not the case at all. I think um, if you go back and listen, you're going to understand a little bit um, that we're we're looking at serving a God from the Old Testament, what is called the Old Testament, who is very jealous. Um, God in the Old Testament had made it very clear that he was very jealous of the people, of them worshiping um, pagan gods or having any involvement with other gods. He, he didn't want anything to do with it. There was one period where they had uh, built the temple and there were a grove of trees outside of the temple. And God gave them a command to go and cut down all those trees, lest they worship the trees. He was so jealous that he didn't want them worshiping the trees near the temple because he knew um, the ability of man to uh, turn objects into things that we worship. Uh, Passover has a, has a really big element in that as uh, we get into the story a little bit more. Uh, the last time we talked about Passover, we were talking about Egypt. Uh, Passover is a um, celebration, I guess you would say, of blood more or less than anything. It is a remembrance of blood, blood being shed. Um, so we covered a little bit about the blood, uh, what it meant to go upon the doorpost, how that relates to our lives, how uh, the blood has to be applied to the doorpost of our heart, and how we have to allow Messiah to uh, send his spirit to dwell in us. Um, and when we have those things, we have life. That is the promise of Passover. Uh, the death angel would pass over us, and we would be alive why am i hearing squeaking is that a mouse i think that was my nostril that would be awesome these microphones are really strong i told oh you um, they're very sensitive so uh, you're gonna hear all kinds of great things today probably <laughs> so we go back to passover one of the big elements of passover is always the storytelling of the children of uh, israel the hebrews stuck in egypt um, it's it's really the focal point in the center of passover um some of the elements that are used, we'll get into that a little bit, but uh, really looking at the story there. So we know, and I'm going to give you a brief overview. We know they were stuck there. We know they became slaves. We know they were um, working essentially for the Egyptians, and they were trapped in Egypt, and that they were longing for a Messiah. They were longing for somebody to come and save them. Um, Passover, uh, God gave them specific preparations, and I'm going to read a couple of verses here that we read yesterday. Um, and these are um, from Leviticus uh, 23, and it says, There are designated times of Adonai, the holy convocation you are to proclaim at their designated times. Um, this is the verse that, the next verse in verse 5 is what I really want us to think about here for a second. It says, In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, between sundown and complete darkness, comes the Pesach, 
or which is Passover of Adonai, uh, God's Passover. On the 15th day of the same month is the festival of matzah. For seven days you shall eat matzah. So um, we know in the scripture, if you don't know what matzah is, I'll describe it really quick for you. You can Google it and you can look up a picture of actual matzah. Um, it's not the big loafy breaded wafer, um, not the big loaf of bread that you might see in some paintings. Um, if your church is handing out a, um, a loafy bread, anything with leaven or yeast in it um, for communion service, that is definitely not matzah. That's not what they were talking about. Um, when Jesus is with the disciples and he says, this is my body which is broken for you, he's holding matzah. He's holding an unleavened bread. Um, the scripture uh, says that uh, it likens leaven to sin. We've discussed this. That sin in our lives is like a little bit of leaven in a lump of dough. And it's going to, a little bit of leaven, leaven at the whole bunch. It's going to cause the whole bunch to have leaven in it. Um, likewise is sin in our lives. If there's a little bit of sin in us, it, it, co it corrupts us completely. Uh, you could tell one little lie your whole life, one little itty bitty lie, and you are corrupt into the eyes of God. Um, and you're corrupt in his presence. So we have to get the leaven out. Um, and through our own ability and through our own uh, righteousness, we can't do that. We're, we're never righteous enough to remove all the sin from our life. Not going to happen. Does this mean that we should continue to sin? Should we go on and sin so that um, God's grace toward us can be manifest? No, not mm. ideally. No, not ideally. Good answer. You're right. So we don't want to continue to sin because we are. That would be an abuse of God's grace. Um, we're saying we don't have any. Uh, we don't have any ability of our own or through Messiah to reject sin. The Scripture gives us plenty of instances where people were faced with temptation, and it gave them the direction to uh, turn and run away from it. There, you know, it says, um, "Thou shalt not kill," that, or basically, "Thou shalt not murder." Is that something that we can do and we can obey? apart from the Holy Spirit. Yes. Right. So we can do that. We don't have to kill. We don't have to murder. There are plenty of people who live on the earth who um, don't have a relationship with God right now who obey this law. They do not go around killing. They do not go around murdering. They believe it to be wrong. I think God put that in them, that knowledge that this is sin. Um, but at the same time, there are things that we can do to be obedient to God's word doesn't mean that uh, we're ever going to be self-righteous, never going to make ourselves sinless. We're never going to be without sin. So we can't keep uh, the Torah of God completely enough to replace the sin that is in us. Not going to happen. So Passover was a lot like that. It was saying, hey, let's get this leaven out of our houses. For seven days, we're not going to have leaven in the home. We're not going to eat uh, leavened bread. Um, everything we have is going to have uh, is going to be unleavened because we want to remind ourselves that sin needs to be out of our household. We've got to get the sin out. So the only way that we get the sin out is the way that they did. They placed the blood upon the doorpost. We, place, we apply uh, Yeshua, Jesus, to our lives. And he himself takes that leaven out of us, that he takes the leaven upon himself. He became sin to pay that penalty for us so we could be forgiven. So very important thing in Passover. There's three major uh, components that uh, have to be mentioned. Is One is matzah. Two is the, um, the, uh, the lamb, right? We don't want to forget the lamb of God. And I've got notes here in front of me because I always seem to have a lot. This is a real large type of a story to talk about. Um, Passover is, and, and you don't want to leave elements out that you really need to remind yourself of. Um, but one element was matzah, and the other is the lamb, and the third is the bitter herbs and the maror, the things that, um, the, the trials and the struggles. The, the Passover Seder is really about reminding ourselves that even though we've been set free and we're no longer physically, we're not bound to Egypt, 
We've been set free from our sins just like they were set free from Egypt. We're no longer physically bound to it. We are still in Egypt and we still have suffering. So until Yeshua returns and reclaims his or claims his bride for himself, we are stuck in Egypt. Um, and this is why it applies to the Christian as much as it applies to the Jew. Because I think a lot of times uh, people are going to point a finger and say, well, that was the Jews. That was for them. That's not for us. We do this, you know. Um, but you don't find, the interesting thing to me is you find none of the current church ordinances, such as Easter or communion, you don't find those in the scripture. You're not going to find the word communion in the scripture. There's no area where it says, get the little silver tray full of the thimbles of grape juice and pass it around. It doesn't say that. It just says, and often as manners you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And the interesting thing is that quote came from Yeshua while he was doing Passover. He was telling his disciples, Why, as, as often as you do Passover, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body which is broken for you. So he's taking that matzah. Um, the matzah, again, if you go back and look online, I'll give you a little quick description of that. Um, it's basically like a square, it looks like a big square cracker, um, and it has bruising on it. It's, it's, it's bruised on one side, and it has holes all through it. Um, and when he's holding it up, he's saying, this is my body, which is, and we know from Isaiah that it's broken, and it is bruised, and it is pierced. So for thousands of years, the Jews were making matzah in this way that they were commanded to make it. You can buy it today, and it's still made the same way. It has the piercings, and it has the bruisings. So once we understand that the matzah is a representation of Christ, because it has no leaven, it has no sin in it, then it little make, makes it a little more clear to us um, what it really meant, what his body being broken, and, what, and the symbolism that was there. Um, so Passover has a lot of symbolism, which is relative, or which is relatable, I'm sorry, to the body of Christ, because we see ourselves, we can see ourselves in that. Um, some of the elements there is the, um, we use grape juice or wine, some groups use wine, but we use grape juice, and it's dipping our finger and remembering the plagues that came upon um, Egypt to force Pharaoh to set the people free. So those plagues are very important because they were, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he was not going to let them go except that God um, basically forced them to do so. So we know that the, the plagues fell, and there were, how many of them? How many plagues were there? Ten. Oh, good job. Ten plagues. So there were ten plagues, and we know that the plagues were integral in letting or, or forcing Pharaoh to let the people go. So the interesting question here is, um, that when the plagues fall, do they fall on just the Egyptians, or do they fall on everyone? Everyone. Right. So the plagues are falling on everyone, um, and this is why it was very important in the last plague for them to put the blood po blood on the doorposts of the home, because if they don't do that, the plague would visit their house. It didn't matter if they were Hebrew. It didn't matter where they were from. It just didn't matter if they were a descendant of Joseph. It, it was didn't matter what it was. If they did not apply that blood to the doorpost, the plague, the death angel was going to come to their house. So we know there were ten plagues. Um, one is the water was being turned into blood. Uh, one was the frogs uh, covering the land, frogs everywhere. Uh, the third plague is really nasty. It's lice. I don't think there's enough stuff to get rid of. Some people are still plagued. Yes, yeah, some people still carry that plague. Um, right now we're suffering plague number four <laughs> around here, which is the swarm of flies. Um, as the temperatures warm up, the stink flies are... bugs. Well, this is flies. Okay, I don't know sorry. if they had stink bugs. <laughs> but as around here, we're getting a lot more flies. It's getting in the spring of the year. Um, number the One of the fifth plague, I believe it was, with the livestock um, was stricken, except for Israel. This is one that was except for Israel. Um, so a lot of their animals were dying. Uh, the next plague was boils uh, that afflicted man and animal, right? So um, it really, that's, that's really a bad one, getting boils. 
Um, one was hell and fire fell at the same time, hell and fire. Uh, one is locust, lots of grasshoppers everywhere. And, and really they're eating crops. They're damaging the, yeah. the infrastructure of the Egyptians. They're damaging their food sources. Um, one was darkness came across the land. So, which was really a slap to the face of the sun God Ra, right? right? If your God is so strong, how come our God is able to darken the sky and keep the sun from shining? So that was really a, a huge one. All of these affected different Egyptian gods. If we go, let's go back to look at the, uh, the water that was turning the blood. That was the God of the Nile, Hopi. It affected him. The frogs was Heget was the frog goddess. Um, the lice was Geb, the god of the earth. The swarm of flies was Shu, the god of the air. And these are all these are all plagues that slap the Egyptian gods in the face, because God is using their own Egyptian gods as their curses, so that the Egyptians would turn and say. Um, let's take hell and fire, which is Nut, the god of the firmament. So they would turn and they would say, if you're our god, why aren't you stopping this? Why are you letting this happen? You know, and they would cry out to this god that had no breath, had no life, and they would curse the, the Hebrew god because they knew he was the one doing this, and they knew he was the one doing this. And so Pharaoh is going out and he's crying out to all these, these false idols and these pagan gods to, to stop these plagues from falling, but they have no control, they have no power, because the living God of Israel is the one who has all authority and control. So the last plague was for Amun-Ra, which is the God of creation, which was the death of the firstborn man and animal. So it was a slap in the face of Amun-Ra that, you know, that the God is, is going to visit and take that firstborn. So Passover, we know, you know, they had to go into the house, they had to put the blood on the doors, um, and the death angel would pass over them, which was really cool, which was, um, it was, it, I don't want to say really cool, but I mean, it's really, um, it's kind of hard to put into words when you think about it, that this, this, uh, entity is going to come and that you, they really had to live on faith, right? That God said that this is going to protect them. They saw all the other plagues fall. Um, we'd like to think that faith and grace are New Testament ideas and New Testament words that we use and that the Old Testament was under the heavy-handed law of God, right? But we see the law, we see grace and faith in the Old Testament. The Bible said Abraham's righteousness or Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness. And it goes on in the book of Hebrews to talk about other people whose faith was counted as righteousness. So the the believers here, the people who believed in the God of Israel would have to um, have faith that he was going to do what he said, that he's going to keep his promise that he's going to pass over their home um I, you've seen the ten commandment movie you know when the, that scene happens uh you hear all the people wailing and screaming and crying and i don't know if that was true or accurate but i can imagine that it might be um i mean if you're in a home and you don't have that and uh your child dies right there in your arms or, or laying on their bed or whatever it is that's you know and you knew and moses had come back and he had warned warned all the egyptians and everyone and everybody kind of thought it was a joke i mean you would well out that you lost your child. So I, I expect that it was a, I suspect that it was a pretty uh, moving night for them while they were in Egypt. And you could see that how that would make you, if you were Pharaoh, want to get these people out of your land, right? They've, they've come in, their God has made fun of all of your gods. He has embarrassed every single God that you worship and believe in. He has used their power, what they claim to be the God of, as a punishment upon you because you won't get, you won't let his people go, um, all the way to the point of taking your firstborn son. So you're to the point to where you're just like, I get out of here. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to deal with these people anymore. Get them out of my, you know, get them out of my land. I, you know, so he lets them go. And, and it's estimated that it was uh, around two to 3 million people that walked out of Egypt, 
Um, the interesting point there is it's not all Hebrews, it's not all um, Israelites, it's not just them, it's nations, it's other groups of people that come with them. We talked about it earlier. Today, me and the wife were discussing, I said, you know, I wonder, there had to be some Egyptians that went to these homes and said, let us, let us stay with you. We've seen the plagues and I don't want to lose my son. Can I stay in your home? And so we know there had to be some of those people. We also know that there had to be other, uh, there were other nations that were slaves in Egypt at the time as well. And so when the Hebrews were released, they, they probably went with them. You know, hey, we're going with you guys. We're getting out of here. We're getting out of Egypt. He's letting us go. Um, and the reason I believe that is because once Pharaoh had let them go, he realized he didn't have any slaves left. We let everybody go. So it's not just the Hebrews who were gone. It was all of the slaves were gone. So then he commands his armies to go out and get them back. We've got to get them back because we can't, how are we going to build more pyramids? I mean, it's a pyramid scheme. So how are we going to do that? You like those little pun there? How, how are we going to do that if, uh, if we don't have anybody to build the pyramids? So then they send out the soldiers after them. Um, one of the other aspects and a couple other things in the Passover Seder that we use, uh, we use uh, what, what are called the cups. Um, it's different cups of wine. There's four cups that you use, and uh, each cup is for a different, um, they stand for something different, basically. Um, and let me find the note real quick, because I want to get my, the first cup is the cup of sanctification. Um, so this is a cup where we are raising it at Passover. Um, we're blessing God for what he's done. And we are really, uh, it's the time where they're, they're setting themselves apart. Okay, so then we go over to um, Luke. We read Luke 22, and he says, When the time came, Yeshua and the disciples were reclining at a table, and he said to them, I really want to do uh, this celebration, this Seder with you before I die. For I tell you, it is certain that I will not celebrate it again until it is given its full meaning in the kingdom of God. Then take uh, the cup of wine. Wine, he made a baraka, and he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Um, okay, then. All right. So I'm getting awesome emails. So anyway, so this this cup is is important because we're honoring God um, for sanctifying and making us holy to Himself, and we're saying, um, Father, you know. Well, let me cut, close this real quick. We're saying that we're that God has sanctified us to Himself, and He set us apart from all the people, other nations, other people of the world. So um, that would be the first cup that we have. Um, Passover seders can tend to be incredibly long or incredibly short, depending upon who's doing it. If you got a long-winded rabbi doing it, it's going to take forever. If you got somebody like me, I'm going to hit the key points and I want to keep rolling. Um, the second uh, cup of Passover is the cup of judgment. And that's the one where you go through all of the plagues that fell upon Egypt. You list them all. You do a little dip, dip, drip, um, and you you're just really recalling what God had done to get the people free. Um, you, you generally go through uh, the meal and everything else. Then you're going to come down to the third cup, which is the cup of redemption. Um, and this is really about the redeem, redeeming blood of Yeshua. So we're refilling that cup for a third time. And uh, we're just talking about how God is able to outstretch his arm and rescue us. Um, in Isaiah 59.1, it said, Adonai's arm is not too short to save and his ears not too dull to hear. Um, so, And that really goes back to Egypt where they're, they're crying out for uh, somebody to rescue them, someone to come and save them. Um, and they cried out for so long, and they said, you know, when is this going to happen? And as God, is he deaf? Does he not hear us? Can he not reach us here? And in the book of Isaiah, the scripture tells us, you know, there's there's nowhere really that he can't reach, and there's no one that he cannot hear. Um, if you go to Exodus, Exodus 24, 6, it says that Moses 
took half the blood and he put it in a basin, and the other half of the blood he splashed against the altar. Uh, then he took the book of the covenant and he read it aloud so that the people could hear it, and they responded, Everything that Adonai has spoken we will do and obey. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which Adonai has made with you in accordance with all these words. So then Jesus says in the New Testament, This is the cup of the new covenant ratified by my blood. He is referring to the third cup of the meal of Passover, known as the cup of redemption. So in the Passover Seder, he's holding this up and he's saying, this is, this is the cup of my new covenant. Um, and it's really not, if you, if you read what we just read there, it's really not a new covenant because Moses had said, this is the blood of the covenant which Adonai has made with you in accordance with all these words. So Yeshua is just reaffirming the covenant with the disciples. This is the covenant. This is a ratification. This is a renewing of the covenant um, that he has made with our ancestors, that he's made with us even at the Passover Seder in the ceremony. Um, so that the idea that it is something to replace one versus the other um, doesn't really exist in the Hebrew mind. Mindset. We In the Greek mindset, we look at it and say, oh, there's the Old Testament and the New Testament. One takes place of the other. It has to because one is called old and one is called new, right? So in our society and culture, everything that is old is used and worn out and nobody wants it. And the new is the stuff that nobody's ever had anything to do with. But if we look at the scripture as a whole complete text, we see that it is a story from beginning to end. There's no, um, there's no variance within the nature of God, is there? I mean... <clears throat> Oh, good answer. You're really, you're really <laughs> speaking out there. I like them. Mm-mm. So, no, there's not, no varying with God. It either, it's a complete plan. It's, it's front to back. It's, it's start to finish. Um, so we know um, that, it, that Yeshua's blood was the key driver behind everything that happened. Uh, the fourth cup in the, um, in the ceremony of the Seder of pa- Passover is the cup of halal, which is the cup of praise. Um, and so you go into, really, you come out of Yeshua um, being the third cup, and then you go into the cup of praise. Where we're praising God, and we're thanking God um, for all the wonderful things that he has done. And we're proclaiming that he is God. And so in Matthew 22, two, uh, the scripture says, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who has prepared a wedding feast for his son. Um, and during... You know, this is stuff that Jesus is saying during his final um, Passover Seder with his disciples. In Luke twenty two fourteen, he said, when the time came, Yeshua said, uh, this is the same scripture that they reclined at the table. And he said to them, I really wanted to do this Seder with you. And I'm paraphrasing here a little bit um, before I die. You know, he's telling them that he will not celebrate this again until it's given its full meaning in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup of wine and he uh, he made a saying and he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So he's he's giving them this. They're having this this fourth and third, third and fourth cup. And he's explaining to them that he's getting ready to die and he's getting ready to be crucified. And um, he's not going to partake of this again until we do it in the kingdom of God with him. Um, and as believers, we know that hasn't occurred yet. We're still sitting here and we're still waiting, um, faithfully and patiently waiting. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. And we have to have faith and we keep our faith that he is coming again to receive us to himself so that we will have that final cup with him. Um, some of the other elements in Passover, there's just songs and, um, it's, it's really a celebration of what had happened to the people while they were in Egypt. It's a celebration of, um, living it's acknowledgement that we're stuck in egypt as believers um in this world today that we're stuck in egypt and while we are here we're waiting on messiah to come and receive us again the good thing the good news for us that they didn't have is that um while we are in this egypt we have the holy spirit dwelling in us we have the comforter with us they didn't have a comforter 
They were, you know, enslaved by the Egyptians. They were worked hard. They were beaten. They were every everything you could think along that goes along with slavery, um, really happened to them. And they didn't have any. They didn't have a Holy Spirit there to comfort them. Um, so the real great point for us as believers is that the Spirit of God dwells in us. And yes, this world may be like Egypt, but um, but we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And we know that uh, one day a uh, no, Yeshua, much like Moshe, Moses, is going to come back and receive us to himself. So uh, that's just the short version of Passover. I think the actual Seder probably went a little bit longer than this episode of the podcast does. So um, if you're interested in that, I I encourage you really to get in, go online, look up uh, Messianic Passover Seder. Um, do a little research into that and find out, you know, how, how can that apply to my life and how could I do that with my family and how could I uh, have more knowledge in that? Because I think uh, we go from the uh, the real simple stuff, the things that are, uh, we want to call them biblically accurate, but they're kind of not. Um, we go from the Good Friday to Sunday morning. Um, uh and you know my it's two days. Yes, you know my beef there. Uh, I honestly, me personally, and I think this is 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 the scripture. Uh, Good Friday he, uh, makes Jesus a liar, makes Yeshua a liar. Um, and if I'll say it again, so you hear me. Good Friday makes Jesus a liar, and I will explain that real quick. With he said he would be in the grave three days and three nights. So these are three Jewish Hebraic days and nights. If you go back to Genesis, you know. The day and night, the evening and the morning were the first day. So it's a evening and morning, three of those in a row. From Friday afternoon, if they believe he was in the grave at 6 p.m. till Sunday morning, that, isn't, that doesn't work. The math is wrong. It doesn't work. Um, so it either our understanding of what happened there is wrong or Jesus himself is wrong. One of the two is wrong. Um, and so... We talk, we discuss this because I'm a very, the facts tend to drive me nuts because I like facts. I want factual information. I want to know, you know, when he died, when he rose from the dead. I wish I knew when he was born accurately. I wish I knew when he was, you know, did all these wonderful things. I, I want to know that because it's, it's very much like knowing you. I want to know everything I know about my wife. I want to know every detail about her that I can because I think that's when we work together as one best. Um, when, when I understand, you know, a lot of times me and my wife will be, uh, discussing where we're going to go eat dinner and, you know, I'll say something and she'll say, well, were you reading my mind? Cause that's exactly what I was thinking. And that's because we know each other that well, we've gotten to the point to where we, we can kind of anticipate a little bit of what the other person is going to think. I can't always say I know what she's feeling, but <laughs> you know, but I can, I know what you're thinking. And that's because I love you and I care about you. And I think the same thing goes for us when we look at Yeshua and we say, uh, yes, I've got salvation. Yes, I've been born again. Yes, he is my my Lord and my King and my Savior. And it doesn't really seem to matter to me when any of these things took place. It doesn't, you know, I mean, it's just... I'm just celebrating that it happened. It is. It's important to celebrate that it happened. I never said, you know... And just like I told you earlier, it would be like, there's my wife. I know she had my child. I know she went through labor. But I don't really need to know the details of that. Right. And I don't really know need to know how long she was in labor or that she puked her guts out or I don't need to know all that. Because how that's would you really feel important? How would you feel if I made that statement? Would I that wanna would cut that not, you. Exactly. <laughs> you would be upset. You would be hurt that I claim to love you, but I don't seem to want to care anything about you. That I wouldn't care about even the little everyday details, right? If I didn't ask you, if we woke up tomorrow and you went on your day and I went on my day and you came home and we never spoke to each other about how our day went or what whatever happened or what transpired, you would really, I'd do that a couple of days in a row and you would start thinking, this person doesn't care about me at all. 
Right. They're just saying it. They're saying they love me, but there's no action. And this is, I think this is very important to where the scripture says, if you will love me, if you love me, you keep my suggestions. Isn't that what it says? <laughs> oh, no, I think I got that wrong. No. It doesn't say that. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? He's saying, if you love me, and I think we've talked about the law and Passover and all these things. When people look at it, they say, oh, those are, that's God trying to beat us up. That's God expecting us to obey these certain rules. And he's being hard there. And from me, I'm saying, if you love God, one of the commandments is to love the Lord thy God, which is the number one, right? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. If you love someone, you will go through every depth you can to learn everything you can about them and to do what pleases them the very most. That That's what love is. It's a self-sacrificing thing. That's There's why, a desire to want right. to do that. And that's why that's why the love of Christ is, is so uh, important to us in Passover because we get to see that he is willing to go to his very death to prove his love for us, to say that I love you so much that I will take sin for you, I will die in your place, and I will take your punishment that you deserve because he didn't deserve that, we did. But he's saying he loves us that much, and he knows everything there is to know about us. So when it goes the other direction, we go, well, it's nice that he died and he rose from the dead, and hallelujah, I got saved, and I got fire insurance, I'm not going to hell. Um, but then you say to somebody, you know, it doesn't make sense that uh, he said he'd be in, in the heart of the earth for uh, three days and three nights, and, and Friday to Sunday doesn't seem to, that don't add Oh, well, that's just because you're being nitpicky. I mean, really? You want to know everything there is to know about him? I mean, it's not to me, it's not nitpicky. It's the facts, right? So if I want to convince somebody that um, that gravity is real or whatever it is, I want facts. I want to be information. I want to be able to say, if I go to a lost person and I want to be able to say that Christ died for you, and they're going to go, well, yeah, how's that work? You know, you want to be able to explain that. And and the more you know about it, the more it, the more information you have about it, the easier it is to explain it to somebody. So for me, it's uh, it's... It's one of those things, too. It's kind of like uh, Christmas. We talked about that before. Um, if the rest of the world is doing it and we're doing it, what does that say? Where's our separation? Where's the We, we talk about the cup, to, the cup of sanctification that, that is in Passover, that God has brought us out of the world, that he has set us apart from the rest of the world. This is what they celebrated for the past 5,000 years. Um, is the we have been separated from Egypt. We've been brought out of Egypt. We're set apart from Egypt. We're no longer those people. We're the people of God now. And so when we come to the, you look in current state of the world today, there's no difference in a lot of ways between the modern church, what we do, and what the world does. We don't set ourselves apart. We don't say, you know what, Easter is you. Easter is what you guys do. You go play with your bunnies, and you play with your eggs, and you have fun with that. That's not gonna. That's not gonna solve any of your problems. That's not gonna give you eternal life. That's not gonna do anything for you. We don't tell the world we're set apart from you. Go and do that. We're going to worship God and we're going to serve God. And I think a lot of churches they say that, right? We say, "Oh, good Lord." I'm sorry, I was trying not good to sneeze. Good night. I think a lot of churches say that, right? They say, "Hey, we don't celebrate Easter. We're celebrating a resurrection." Uh, but after church, we're going to have Easter egg hunt. I mean, it's, it's that nonsense that doesn't make sense. If you're going to take a stand on something, take a stand. I mean, really, stop folding and stop riding the fence. And stop playing the game. And let's be the people of God. That's what the, you know, the abnormal Christian, this podcast is all about, is saying, let's drive those hard lines in the ground. Let's draw that line in the ground and say, if you're with us, you stand on this side. And if you're with them, you stand on that side. Because there's going to be a day that is coming 
Um, there's a judgment called the judgment of the, the, the goats and the judgment of the sheep. When those two are separated and they are pulled apart and they are judged before God, and there is a line that is drawn in the sand that says, are you my children or are you not my children? Um, he either says he knows you or he doesn't know you. It's one of the two. But for some reason in our lives, and I know we're in Egypt, and I know we struggle with a lot of things, but some reason in our lives, we always think it's okay to blur that line. That we're going to, as long, as long as we acknowledge that Christ was crucified, we can meddle a little bit in paganism, or we can meddle in some of the things that the rest of the world meddles in. And uh, that's one of the reasons we do Passover, is because we're trying to set this precedent in our life that this is, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. That should be plain, plain and simple. I really, you know... You sit here and discuss all this stuff, and that's what it should really come down to. Which I think is what helped me clear a lot of stuff up in my mind. Right. It's not... When I was struggling when we were initially talking, and I was like, uh, what are you talking about? I've never heard <laughs> this stuff before. And it's like, well, good enough for Jesus while he was here. He chose that way to live and, and while he was a human. You, so. look, at, you look at him him having Passover with the disciples in Jerusalem. You go over to the book of Hebrew and it, and Hebrews, and it goes on to say that he has now become our Passover lamb. It doesn't say he's become our, our Easter sacrifice. It doesn't say he's become our um, Easter sunrise service. It doesn't say any of that stuff. It says he's become our Passover lamb. And then it goes on to say that we shouldn't forsake that assembling of ourselves together. It's not talking about getting together and going to church. It's talking about Passover. It's talking about coming together and not forsaking that Seder. Every year we should be getting together and we should be celebrating Passover and we should be doing, uh, the church uses the word sacraments. That's what the Catholic church likes to call it. The modern church calls it communion. Um, but they're, they all come from the same line. But we should be getting together in our homes and bringing our friends and our family in and all of other, the other believers that we know and saying, we're going to sit around this table and we're going to do a Passover Seder just like Jesus did, just like Yeshua did. And we're going to acknowledge this bread and this wine. This is his body and this is his blood that is broken for us. We're right? going to do it like he did the just last like day he did he was on earth. because we've been commanded in in the old testament we have been commanded to do this for all generations it does not say jews only it says for all generations if we are grafted into messiah we belong to him not him to us that's how that goes so uh this you know this this whole passover deal is just it's there's so much to it and there's so much more to it and i'm I scarcely hit on a lot of it i know um, but I encourage you as a believer, if you're listening to this broadcast, just check it out, look online, look for uh, messianic Passover, um, and really see what the elements are that are in the Passover Seder. Um, maybe you could look around and find a local congregation that does it every year, get a chance to go to one. It's really awesome. It really, uh, really goes into the depth of, uh, how the Jews did Passover for thousands of years and they didn't see all the symbols and signs that were in it. There's so much there. Um, so this has been uh, Passover episode number two. So this is episode 10, but it's, it's Passover number two. So we've continued that on a little bit. Um, if you're interested in any more information, check us out online. We are on Facebook. We are on, I don't know, you tell me. You're the Twitter and Instagram. Yes, yeah, she's the media manager. <laughs> so that's her job is to manage the media. I just do the voice work. So anyway. From us to you, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. We pray that God blesses you um, from the Abnormal Christian, and we will talk to you later. Bye.